0: So we're going to continue looking at these parables of Jesus. And as we look at them, we see there's a pattern to them. There's a pattern to these parables that we can figure out a little bit. Because these parables, they made sense to the people who heard them. They made sense to the hearers. They were honest everyday stories that had that deeper spiritual reality of Jesus and the kingdom he has come to offer And as we've listened to these parables over the weeks, we've seen this growing sense of frustration and anguish with the religious leaders and the teachers. They've been perplexed by the people's response to Jesus, and they're really, really upset with him. And as we will see today, they're once again plotting to trap Jesus by twisting what he says. And they're resorting to basically dishonest political and rhetorical devices. They're trying to trap him with his words. They're trying to manipulate what he said and what he's done. And they've come to Jesus today pretending that they want to have a challenge or an honest theological debate or discussion, just as we learned about last week, the kind of thing that happened between respected leaders and teachers of the Old Testament. But we know better. If you're a Christian, if you've grown up in church and read the Bible even, you know that they're not really interested in what Jesus has to say. They only want to silence him. They want to trap him with his own words, with his teachings. And I imagine that's probably part of why Jesus told these parables, because they related so well to the frustrations of the people in the world around him, the broken places in their world that Jesus had come to begin to repair. For the religious leaders to attack them, to attack these parables, was just the same as them attacking the people and the experiences they knew and suffered, the things that they struggled with. And so Jesus today picks up once again with a parable, and he again relates to the people just where they are in a way that they can all understand. And we're picking up today, and it's Wednesday of Holy Week, one day later than our parable from last week. And this one is powerful. It has a deep message for us. And in some ways, today's parable is a summary of all that Jesus had been teaching, all that's been happening in the three years of ministry he had leading up to this final week of his life on earth. This parable has far-reaching implications for both Jesus' world and for our world today. Why is that? Because this parable, it gives us a glimpse into our own souls and our own spiritual state, our own spiritual situation. This parable shows us that even as Jesus has received on Palm Sunday with cheers and hosannas, he soon hears deafening cries of, crucify him. This parable tells the story of our own hearts and our own spiritual lives, just as if we had been those people that Jesus was speaking to that Wednesday of Holy Week. And so we find him there. On that Wednesday, back in the temple courtyard, teaching with a large crowd around him. Imagine that scene, and Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the fears of the Pharisees and the leaders. As Jesus is talking about a faith that is not based in some self righteousness or some rule following with these false shepherds, but a true salvation that comes from a heart change from the inside out. And These leaders, they can't understand it, they can't relate to it, and they're challenging his authorities, they're going after him, they're afraid, they're bitter. They're actively planning Jesus' death at this point. But yes, remember, Jesus knows, he knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen, so he preaches this parable about rejection, about acceptance, and about redemption. He picks something they could all relate to, to tell that story, a wedding. Jesus starts with something they can all understand. But then he takes them deeper into what they cannot and do not understand from the spiritual leaders to the people, to even his own disciples, what they're struggling to understand. What is this kingdom of heaven? What is this kingdom of redemption that Jesus is going to talk about? Simply put, Jesus's kingdom is all that he rules over. All that God rules over is his kingdom, where he is sovereign, where His subjects, his people, properly understand him as the king of all kings. The one who is, as we sang this morning, worthy. The one who understands what he has come to do. Who he is as the Messiah, as we sang about this morning. The one who has come with redemption and grace. A grace that he will reveal in just two short days on the cross of Calvary on Good Friday. But even the cross we know is not the end. Because Jesus will rise again. He has risen again, and that all that He has come to offer is not just renewed life on earth, but eternal, restored life in His presence forever, where there will be a great celebration and a great feast, where grace and redemption and mercy will continue for all time. That's what Jesus has come to offer. That's what the people don't understand, and that is what He's going to talk about today as He reveals a story about a wedding, an invitation. And it's an invitation that's rejected, that's denied. So we're going to start today. Let's open up and look at Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, and learn about this king, this wedding feast, and invitations that go unanswered. And what happens? You'll see four scenes in this. Let's read Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gives a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they did not want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited. See, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away. One to his own farm, another to his business. While while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them, the king was enraged. And he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city, and invite everyone you find to the banquet So the servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is God's holy word. So this king that Jesus talks about in this story, he did what they would expect a king to do in this situation in Jesus's world. This is what the people would expect. He threw a huge feast. He threw a party. It was a part of a wedding celebration likely for his son. That's why a king would be throwing a feast it's a little different than how we do weddings here in the Western world but the father would do this the king would do this for his son and so it would be a lavish affair particularly for a king but for anyone it would be the most lavish affair that they could arrange but for a king it would be like the royal weddings we see in the United Kingdom only with less people running away to Canada and stripping themselves of their titles afterwards and all of that sort of thing but what would happen in a royal wedding as we would imagine is there's lots of pomp and ceremony and it's extravagance and it's amazing and a feast like this in Jesus's world would often last a week it would be a 7-day celebration a massive party and on the 7th day the wedding couple would leave and they would have their honeymoon night the celebration would lead up to that moment and they would leave and be sent off with cheers and we've somewhat condensed that down in our world today we do Kind of the same process, but slightly different, but it was something that we could not imagine. Now, my own wedding, it was small. We had a tiny reception in the basement of somewhere called Brown's Country Kitchen. It was not a fancy thing by any stretch, and we had a few hours. There was no dancing because we were married in a church that uh, didn't permit that sort of thing. And so we went, and we just had some snacks and so a meal with our family and our loved ones, and then We got in a car and drove towards Niagara Falls, and now I've been to some weddings in my time that were far more extravagant than my own and and very fancy, and I'm sure the dad had quite a a build a foot after some of those, and this wedding, this one that Jesus is talking about, it it would beat them all. It would be a celebration beyond anything we could imagine, a celebration far beyond the royals that we see in our world, anything else. And that is the picture Jesus chooses to offer the kingdom of redemption. That heavenly kingdom he had come to offer. That kingdom that is that sort of celebration. A kingdom that will have a, a feast beyond imagination. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And those who are invited, those who are welcome should come and attend. That's what Jesus is saying today. And so we see in verses 2 and 3 here, Jesus says to them, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gives a wedding feast. He gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those they invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Now, it was typical in this world, in this world that Jesus lived in, it was customary for them to go and personally invite people. There was no internet, there was no tight scheduling, there was no phone to call people on, there was no postal service as such, and so they would go out in advance and tell people, hey, the king's son is getting married, we're going to have a party, and you have been invited. So the people, they knew in advance that they were invited, In in verse three we see that, they know that they were invited, and They had RSVP'd, they had said, yes, I'll be there, yes, I will come. And so now the time had arrived. Can you imagine being invited to such a royal wedding? Invited to one of those, like even think of a royal wedding or a very fancy wedding that happens with celebrities or someone in our world today. You tell everyone you knew, I'm a VIP, I got invited to this this wedding, I cannot wait, I'm an honored guest. I mean, think about it. Unlike a wedding in our world, especially like a destination wedding where you've got to pay for the travel and buy a present, none of that happened in this world. The king was footing the entire bill. You really had all expense paid, one or even longer, sometimes they went over a week, a one or two week luxury vacation wedding to a great destination. All you had to do was put on your best, show up, and party. All you had to do was come and enjoy the finest the king had to offer and as we know from studying in Jesus's world in the wedding feast his first miracle they were quite the party they were quite the party in fact remember his mom comes and says Jesus we need more wine because this party's got to go on a little longer see how that all makes sense It was a free celebration. The king reached out to them personally. No internet, no Evite, nothing of that sort, no invitations that got lost in the mail. A servant came and you looked at him and said, I'll write it down. I will be there. I would never want to disappoint the king. They said yes. And then after the king had made all the preparations, they did not come. But the king, he's a kind and a gracious king. And so he sends his servants back again to those invited. In verse 4, again he sent out those servants and he said, tell those who were invited, see I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So the king sends other servants, even though people had skipped out or as the kids would say, they had dipped. They weren't there. They hadn't come to the party. And There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of upset. You see, the king had prepared. This was not some McDonald's drive-thru kind of a a wedding banquet. This was like top of the line, not even Texas Roadhouse. This is like Ruth Chris kind of cattle. Like this is high-end Morton Steakhouse kind of stuff. And they don't come. And the king says, hey, the meal's prepared. And in Jesus' day, you might remember, they had two meals, a meal at 9 a.m., And then they had, remember that parable of the workers we talked about? They'd have an early meal. They'd go out and work from 6 a.m. They'd have a break at 9 for a meal. And then they'd work through to about 6 p.m. And they'd have another meal around 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night. They'd have their second meal. And so this is probably the wedding brunch that would kick off this week or more of celebration. And so he sends them out yet again. Hey, tell them, come on, I've got the dinner ready. Everything is ready. But look what happens in verse 5. Look what they say but then paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. Now think about this. They don't even make excuses. They don't politely apologize. They ignore the king's servants when they come back. They go off to their business. They go off to, to work outside. So it's kind of like in our world, I'd love to come to the king's party, but you know I can't, uh, I had an emergency. No, they don't do that. They say, I need to go balance the books at my business. You know, I've got some weeding I've got to catch up on in the yard. They say, you know what? What I have to do, it's more important. I don't even care. You know, I'm going to pretend you aren't even here. I'm not even going to be a part of it. Now, this would not only be the ultimate insult to the king. It was frankly insane. This is the king who rules over where you are. He provides every good thing you have. This is not like our country. This is a kingdom. And the king has invited you once in a lifetime opportunity to enjoy the greatest thing. And you ignore the servants and say, you know what? My stuff, my mundane, everyday stuff is more important. What they wanted, what they valued. They said, it's more important than anything you could offer me. King, I don't have any time for it. The highest honor turned down and thrown away. But look at verse 6. They went even further, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Now, this would seem unbelievable to us, but they went as far as to kill the kindly servants who came back not once but twice and invited them, who asked them to come to the world's most incredible party. They've lied to the king. They promised to come. They've been indifferent to the king, ignoring his kindly reminders and going about their own lives. And even though the kindly reminders had come in a really respectful fashion, far beyond what they deserved, they couldn't even be bothered with the king reminding them of what they had promised. They killed the messengers that brought them the gracious and wonderful news. To those who heard Jesus' parable that day, This would have been the worst behavior they could have imagined. Even for us hearing it today, can you imagine anything worse than this? I think we would all feel the same way. Imagine yourself invited to such a party, a celebrity or whatever, like we talked about, and then think about when it's time to come to that party, you just ignore the people that have come to pick you up. The limo comes and you just, I don't have time for this. I'm not going to be about it. And if you keep bothering me, in fact, I think I'm going to kill you. His hearers this day, as they heard him tell the story, they remember how it begins. The kingdom of heaven is like. And maybe in their hearts, in the depths of their souls, it hits some of them. Those who were called and called again the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the children of Abraham called and called again by the prophets this week. Write these down if you want to look at these this week. Some examples in God's word. Hosea chapter 11. Hosea Hosea 11, God calls them out of Egypt to be his own people. Hosea reminds them. He's calling them back from their spiritual adultery. Hosea 11, or Amos chapter 3. We talked about Amos in one of our parables recently. Amos 3, where God proclaims his love for them. No matter what they've done, he will bring them justice and truth. Amos chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel 16, where God finds them like a newborn baby that's been born and abandoned out in the street. And he cleans them up and he takes care of them and makes them his very own. God had sent them, the prophets, for ages to call them back to him, to belong only to him. Last week we learned about the last prophet, John the Baptist, who told them to repent, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of redemption, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And here, two days before the cross, Jesus is reminding them, reminding them, but they didn't see it, they wouldn't see it, they couldn't see it, they didn't want to, It was all about them. The called ones didn't see the king saying, Come to the feast. My son has come for his wedding feast. They killed the servants. They killed the prophets. They murdered John the Baptist. They'll soon kill Jesus. And eventually all his disciples but one. And even as Christians are martyred for the faith this day, some were indifferent And some were outraged and hostile. The heart of sin we're all born in. In its natural state, we reject this message of God. His providing. His spirit calling. They rejected it. They pretended it didn't matter. All that God had proclaimed to be true and right and good, they rejected it. All of them. Look at verse 7. Look at what happens. As a result of this rejection, the king was enraged and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down the city. Now, there is something to this, and in light of what we see in our world today, there's something truthful and honest about that sinful heart condition in this moment. Stay inside the story with me for a moment and recognize how it relates to the world around us the king has sent wave after wave of truthful and gracious and loving people to call them back to him to invite them to welcome them in even though they've been rejected to welcome them yet again yet the people respond with indifference at best and violence at worst but all responded with rejection and you see judgment comes the king sends his armies His troops go forth and those in Jesus' day would have seen this as completely justifiable because they attack the king. They declare war on him, even though he was truly kind to them and loved them, had prepared everything they could ever imagine for them. They declare war on him. And so the king responds. He responds to their murder and to their insurrection against his kingdom and against all that he had given to them. He responds, those who murdered and those who were a part of the insurrection traded a trip to the greatest party of all time, to a loss of everything they thought belonged to them. Verse 8 explains the shift in the story dramatically. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. They were not worthy. So he tells them, he tells them to go to the, he says, go to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone. They found both evil and good. And the wedding banquet was filled with guests. Now, why were they not worthy? It wasn't their backgrounds, the common people. They got invited to the service. They were invited It wasn't their skin skin color or their country of origin or their background or anything of that sort. It wasn't anything about them, their intelligence, their attractiveness, none of those things. They were not worthy simply because they rejected the invitation from the king. That's it. They They were not worthy because they would not come. And we see the parallel. Where the king goes out in 9 and 10 and he invites them, both good and evil, to the wedding banquet. And so the banquet is filled with guests. You see, in our natural sinful state, none of us would come. We're not willing. We don't see it. We're not able to see it. We're indifferent. Those who come to the banquet then, they're not more virtuous. They're not more worthy. They're not better. They just receive the invitation. They go to where the roads exit the city. That literally means the crossroads. We had a a, a young adult ministry here at the church called Crossroads that I oversaw for a number of years. And the idea of that is just to make sure it came from this idea in scripture. Jesus says, go out to the big intersections where every different kind of person would go across and grab those people and bring them in to the celebration. The, The servants, he says, just go and grab those people that are there, the people that maybe no one would want. Grab them, put your arm around them and just lead them in to the celebration. Lead them in, lead them in. All people in all the world are invited to the great celebration, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of heaven, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about that. Jesus reminds them of this. He reminds reminds them that this is for all people, both good and bad, are brought in. Consider the words here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. God invites them all in. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males... No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It's important that we see this. We all start sinful. We're all messed up. And God's not saying if you're a sinner, you're not welcome in the kingdom of God. He's saying the opposite. We're all broken by different things in our world. Things that God's word considers sin. And I just read some of those to you. That's God's word. That's what he says. It's not what Pastor Bob says. It's not what Stowe Presbyterian Church. It's what God's word has declared for thousands of years. And God says, you may be sinning. In fact, you might be struggling with some of these very things. But I love you. And I'm going to come out. And I'm going to grab onto you. And I'm going to lead you in. And you may be like that. But he says, even if you think you're one of the Bad people, one of those who struggle with your sin. Look what it says in that passage that some of us used to be like this, yet God welcomes us in to that kingdom of redemption. He takes us and he doesn't leave us where we are, but he changes our hearts he changes our lives. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we still don't slip up and sin in all different ways. But God never leaves us where he finds us. Look at verses 11 through 13 in our passage today. When the king came to, came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, Tie him up hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One last contrast and reminder, we've had four different movements. The fourth, the final one here. The celebration is filled. Those were welcomed in. God says he doesn't matter if you're broken or not. He welcomes you in, but he's not going to leave you the way that you are. He's going to change you. This one last contrast is there's one person there who didn't accept the wedding clothes that were offered? You know, they were brought in off the street. The, the king says to them, Don't worry, change your clothes. In fact, I'm going to give you new robes. Now, robes are an important thing in scripture. God describes to us that He's going to give us robes, He's going to change our lives, He's going to give us clean clothes. This idea was very important the idea of being ceremonial or perfectly clean. But this man refused that. He rejects the king's generous offer. And in Jesus' world, they would have understood this. He said, I don't need any of your stuff, king. I don't need any of your change. I don't need any of your knocking to leave me. I'm fine just the way I am. You see, I'm not unrighteous like all these other people. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty good. Can you imagine Jesus looking at those teachers of the law, those Pharisees, as he told this? This parable reveals to us the depths of God's heart that they did not understand. The secret of the kingdom of God, it's not whether you have it all together. You can be a terribly immoral, immoral and messed up person, but when Christ gets a hold of your heart and your life, when you are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, you get a new robe, you get clothed in Christ's righteousness. Those religious leaders, as Jesus locks eyes with them, they know exactly What he means. Why do they know? Because they know passages like Isaiah 61.10. Which says I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. And wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. As a groom wears a turban. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For their wedding day. Jesus brings it all full circle. Back to Isaiah, one of those prophets who had called them back and said, God's salvation is enough. You don't stand in your own righteousness. In fact, your clothes are smelly, but if you get invited to the party and you get pulled off the street out of the intersection, the king's going to give you new robes. And you'd be crazy not to accept them. You'd be crazy not to accept them. Not to do that. What matters, friends, is whether we accept. The robe of righteousness that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus has come to offer. You can be a really messed up person. You may feel like that today. You may be totally out of line with what God says. You don't feel like you're dressed for the party at all. But Jesus says, that's okay. Will you accept the salvation I've come to offer? 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become, not that we were, we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God, and that's what Jesus will soon do at the cross of Calvary. That's what he's come to do, and he invites the whole world Through us, friends, as his church, those who have been changed, those who have received the Holy Spirit, that we would all come and be a part of this great wedding feast that we'll have someday. That's what's described in the book of Revelation when Christ comes again. And this parable is reminding us at the close, it's all about the King who has come to redeem, to love, to welcome, to accept, and to transform lives and friends as the church today. We remember the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet to which we are all invited. And when the king grabs us and wraps his robes of righteousness around us, all we can do is say thank you. With how we live our lives, recognizing that we needed a new robe, we needed new righteousness, and that the one who had no sin, the only one that was worthy, made us who could never be worthy to become the righteousness of God. You and I need to hear this every day because in our own sinful hearts, we're murderers against God. We step against his word. We stand against him. We see that in the world all around us this day. But as those who have been welcomed, as those who have been changed, we must too invite others in to know Jesus Christ, the God who loves them, who comes again and again because one day there will be judgment. One day there will be no more. But until that day, friends, you and I, must call people in to the great banquet that Jesus has promised. As a bride prepared for the bridegroom, as his church, that is our calling. That is our job today. Jesus is calling. Will we answer the call? Let's pray. Father, that we would, in all these things, know that you have destined us for something more. God, that you have made us to be someone different. God, that we're all broken by our sin and we all reject you, but you don't leave us there, God. You make us your people this day. So Father, I pray that you would transform us this day to be more like you, to belong to you, to be those who would come in, accept those robes of righteousness, and call others to belong to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.